Going to do a little bourbon talk this week on the Access Louisville podcast, including a big project in downtown Louisville. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. My name is David Mann, and joining me today are Ellie Tolbert. Hi. Haley Cawthon. Hi there. And Stephen Schmidt. Hello. Later in the show, we're going to be joined for an interview by Shay Van Hoy and Mark Fote of Galen College of Nursing. Before we get into that, we're going to get into this bourbon news that I teased. And before we get into the bourbon news, I'm going to tell you, Access Louisville is a weekly podcast from Louisville Business First. Each week, we bring you the latest news, along with plenty of sharp opinions on what's going on here in Louisville, Kentucky. Sorry I was off last week. We got so many people on vacation right now because it's the end of the year and everybody's trying to use their vacation and i took a week off uh and and then i thought of it like maybe wednesday should i ask Haley to do a show and then i felt i and felt then bad Haley was sick and, and that, sounded really gross i heard you Anyways. were sick and then I, I was like i can't just throw that at her at the last minute so we're just having no, no show. one would have wanted to hear that <laughs> yeah. so you're welcome access yeah. Louisville listeners <laughs> <laughs> so we're back we're uh you know i think we'll we'll have shows through the end of the year uh just trying to get through all this vacation stuff but uh anyway let's talk a little bourbon as i mentioned um the uh i think i think we'll start with angels envy distillery uh steve you had a big story on some plans there uh they've they've revealed uh to us so uh tell us about what angels Envy's doing yeah so um first of all i think this is the first time i've been in the podcast in this in this room we got a really nice it's yeah really nice view we can tell you that the weather's really really good right now we could do like uh you could do like weather you can give a weather. Um, <laughs> you really could. You got a good yeah. view, and you can see, you know, see for miles. But uh, anyway, so, anyway, yeah, stay I on, was, stay on the mic. By the I way, will, you turned your head. Oh, a couple sorry of about times. that. All right. <laughs> anyway, is this is this is a way different than before? We were in a dark room, and now we're in this like, uh, yeah. There's all the windows and stuff. So very cool. Yeah. So recently, I went down to Angels Envy and spoke with Gigi Jadan. Uh, she is the general manager. Um, spoke with her and a couple of her, of her um, uh, team members about what's going on. And um, they actually gave me an exclusive story, which is cool. And there's two parts to this. One is there's a parking lot across the street. Um, so uh, so those who uh, Angels Envy is right across from Louisville Slugger Field. And so this parking lot's just right across. I understand you used to park park there for bats games. Mm-hmm. It's one of your spots. Yeah, It's one of my go-tos. It's going to be gone now, but... <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think uh, it's, what's interesting is that that area, they've tried to do a couple things with it before, um, including like an, I think an eight, eight story apartment complex. And, and um, for some reason that did not go through. And so what they're going to do is it's like two acre lot and they're going to have like basically a double, a double story um, uh, building that's going to have both like experimental uh, place, like places to do innovation and then also what they said, the biggest thing was that was, was tourism. They want to be able to, they say right now when you go in, there's like, you kind of get backed up. Like you kind of go someplace and you have to kind of back out of a room. And they're really trying to ramp up the amount of, of people they can put through the building. Um, and so like right now, I think they're third. They were, I need to check, they were 100, they're, during the fiscal year of 2022, they were going to have about 163 visitors, and this year they're hoping to have 200,000. And it was only about three years ago, before COVID in 2019, that they were doing about 60,000. Had to turn 60,000 away. So, so tourism's a big part of this. Um, and then on the other side, <clears throat> excuse me, on the other side, more on the production side, they are building a 60,000 uh, square foot distillery and blending facility uh, in Henry County. Um, they, they currently have 350 acres with four rick houses. They're going to build on that site, but they also have 1,200 uh, uh, acres that they, that they currently have a rent that they rent out with the, uh, uh, the understanding they're going to eventually buy that land. So they're going to have over 1,500 acres down in Henry County. Mm-hmm. But everybody, they'll, they'll have like VIP experiences and things like that. But most of the public's interaction will still be downtown. And the thing that Gigi said uh, several times was that, you know, this is, we are an urban bourbon, that's our identity. And so I don't really see them changing that much. They're just gonna be able to create a lot more 
um, alcohol and they're going to be able to uh, facilitate a lot more people. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounded like it was as much about production as it was about tourism. But yes, I think you're right. I mean, I identify Angel's Envy as a Louisville brand instead of a Kentucky brand because it's it's right on Main Street. And, and the other thing, too, is what, one thing that was interesting is that, um, you know, a rabbit hole distillery is not too far. We've we've, we've uh, written about that. I think Ellie wrote about that. They have, they have a similar thing, too, where they, they need space for trucks to come in and out. And they also talked about the need for, like, dry storage and things like that. So when you do have a distillery in such an urban environment, you run into things that other people do not. And so having that space will also allow them to, to have trucks move around and also not kind of um, uh, not jam up uh, area roads. So it'll probably be good. It'll be good for the company and it'll be good for people who want to come in. And ultimately good for Louisville because you're going to have more people wanting to, um, you know, come in and, and see this. And it's going to be right next to the, obviously, the Bat Stadium. And so, yeah, it, it'll, it seems like a, you know, a, a win-win for, for everybody involved. Yeah. And uh, let's see here. Another bourbon story you wrote was about a, it's a brand called Never Say Die. Yeah. And uh, the, the brand is, the, the backstory on the brand is fun enough, but the uh, the process, I thought, was kind of the, the more interesting thing about them. What's what's this weird process that they do to, to age their bourbon? So think about Jefferson's Ocean, I guess, is, is one way to say it, where they take, they take bourbon, they put it on a boat, and they move it around. But for this case, instead of just like, oh, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, and it, they are um, they're deliberately going from from Kentucky to the UK, to uh, I think Derbyshire, um, so like northern northern uh, UK in England. Um, and um, yeah, so it's an interesting process where it takes about three, I think it takes about, I think he said, um, I spoke with Brian Luffman, who's one of the seven, seven owners, and he kind of runs the US operations. And it takes about three months or so to get it from from uh, from Kentucky over to, to England. And so what they've done is um, there's a there's a group of owners. There's um, I think four of them are based here in Kentucky and three are based in England. And um, they they take they age it for five years. They make it here. He didn't want to disclose the name of the place, but it was in Danville, Kentucky. So I think you can probably make your own uh, <laughs> conclusions there. And um, I wrote that in the story. And so um, you um, you go. So it goes over about five to seven years and it comes it comes to england it ages for about a year and then they bottle it there and then they're, they're bringing it back and mm -hmm. so they, they did a, a launch back in um uh around a horse race so there's not to get too much in the weeds but basically never say die was a horse that was from kentucky one of the owners uh was on his farm and as, as the legend goes back in the 50s he was very sick they gave the horse some whiskey, which I guess was a thing back in the day. Probably something they did back then. And the horse went on to win basically the equivalent of the English uh, Kentucky Derby. And um, so Never Say Die became his uh, name. And and, uh, and so there you go. So it's it's real. So, so Never Say Die has a, a large – people know about that horse in England. It lives in English lore. Yeah. And um, so the, the, the launch was in London, and now they're bringing it to U.S. The interesting thing is is that it's only available in stores – uh, in uh, in the Kentucky for right now, they're going to eventually go to other places, and you can get it on Sealbox outside of Kentucky. Kentucky is one of I think nine states you can't order Sealbox from. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. And the other thing is is that the price point is pretty low. It's like I think sixty. I need to look real quick. Yeah, I thought it was like sixty nine dollars. Yeah. The, okay, sixty nine ninety five. And so, and he told me. You know, we're not looking to make a bunch of money on this right now. We just want people to try the product. And so, and they're hoping that their efficiencies will go down. And so maybe their costs will go up a little bit, but they're not. Something like this, given all the all the um, the high-priced premiumization, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I was really surprised, quite frankly, that it was only like 70 bucks. Um, and I think I, I had a friend tell me that they got it for like 50-something at like a Kroger. So um, it's interesting. Hmm. Go and check it out. Um, I'm, yeah, it, I... I I imagine that the the tasting notes would be similar to Jefferson's Ocean, I would say. Yeah. 
All right, Stephen, well, I appreciate that. Uh, for now, we're going to switch gears. Like I said, we got an interview coming up. we got Mark Vogt on the show. Uh, we're going to talk about him. He's one of our uh, recent most admired CEOs. And, and Shay says he's just an interesting, uh, he's got an interesting hobby. So stay tuned, listen to that, and then we'll be back with some more news. Like I said, we didn't have a show last week, so we're just going to like do the longest show ever this week. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll turn it over now to uh, Shay Van Hoy and Mark Vogt. Welcome to the Access Louisville Executive Interview today with uh, Mark Boat, CEO of Galen College of Nursing. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So uh, we're this is timely. Uh, last night uh, I saw you or was together on stage with you as I introduced you uh, for our Most Admired CEOs Award, uh, something we do every year. We honored 26 CEOs last night in the Louisville area for uh, you know their leadership and excellent performance and you know their how they treat employees. Um, and so how did it feel to get the honor and and specific or specifically to know that you were nominated by a Galen colleague? Well, first of all, it, it was it it felt very good being nominated by one of our team members. Um, I usually shy away from from the spotlight. Um, I, I believe I facilitate all the great things that they do and and being a native Louisvillian um, and being recognized in my hometown, um, it felt really good to be there. Awesome. Well, we're happy to have you. It was a great, great crowd, a great event. Um, and if uh, if you uh, are listening and want to check out the profiles of Mark and the other CEOs and also our Business Impact Awards winners, uh, that's in our print edition this week and also online. Um, speaking of Galen, one of the one of the reasons, not not the only reason, but one of the reasons I think you were recognized. Uh, and the nomination was uh, you all have seen at Galen tremendous growth over the over the time you've been there, you know, a couple decades, but really in the past few years. Uh, and and you can correct my figures if if I'm wrong, but about 13,000 students in, in nearly all 50 states now, and 20 campuses. And obviously, I know there was a there was a, a an M and A deal that that's that involved that, but you're still here. You're still local. Galen's headquartered here. You guys have an awesome new facility. So, what's been key to that growth, um, especially over the last few years? Well, I think there, there's a couple of factors that are that are key to that growth, and uh, I would say the first thing that we're super proud of is that that enrollment continues to grow, and you know there's a great reason why it's growing because people are attracted to the nursing profession, and I love the fact that we we are nursing and nursing only. Um, the key to the growth really has been number one uh, our collaboration with HCA. Uh, HCA Healthcare, Hospital Corporation of America. HCA Healthcare is the largest provider of healthcare in our country. About about seven percent of all U.S. healthcare goes through one of their facilities in one way or another. It's, and they're the largest employer of nurses. But they have been a platform for us to kind of jump off of and continue our growth. But I really think that's what most of the world sees. But what they don't see is the how we've done this. Um, when I started here, we just had a few hundred students enrolled and we were offering one program and today we offer about seven separate programs here at the college. And a little bit more than a decade ago, we really got focused on our culture. And if there is one thing that is so important to why we're successful, why we were successful during the pandemic, how we've been able to grow it's all about being very specific about our culture. And I would love to say that we did it our alone, that we were geniuses and figured it all out, but we're not. Um, back in 2012, we began working with uh, the Walt Disney Company. And we have spent, um, I would say, more than a decade now of, of working with uh, current and past executives, um, at the Walt Disney Company and really thinking about how you create an environment and, and where where everybody's matters and everybody knows they matter and very a very formulaic way of, of culture. We, we like to say here at the college that we have a culture by design, not a culture by default. Um, and that's what's got us through this because, um, you know, we say that you can, you develop people for commitment, but you, you pay and train people for compliance. And we've been blessed to have a whole lot of people here that are committed to a cause much bigger than who we are. And that's to how do we expand access for people to get to go to nursing school? 
Awesome, awesome, cool. And I think we'll talk a little bit about Disney here in a, here in a, here in a couple minutes um, for for other reasons. Uh, but yeah, I know is that part of the the Disney? I can't remember the name of it, but the the leadership training program that they do. Or and I'm sorry, I'm you know, no, no, it's great. It's it's like I, I hope some people are listening to this. And um, the Disney Institute is really the training arm for the Walt Disney Company, and we worked with the, them for a long period of time. But we also worked with some amazing leaders um, that had retired from Disney. And I got to give a great shout out to um, a gentleman by the name of Lee Cockrell. Um, he wrote a book called Creating Magic. And it, it hit me um, when I was at Walt Disney World. It was the only book up there on the shelf that didn't have something to do about the company. It was really about organization development. And to your readers, to this day, it is the number one leadership book I've ever read in my life. Um, Creating Magic by Lee Cockrell. Um, it's a, a very down-to-earth, reasonable way how you can create organizational excellence in your organization. Awesome. Well, if you're listening, check it out. Uh, we always look for book recommendations. Sometimes we ask that in our, our Q&As with, uh, with honorees, uh, you know, what they're reading or what podcasts they're listening to. So, uh, one thing uh, about you know you, I'm I'm assuming that you all have grown too because of of a great need. Um, you talked about HCA and how many nurses they they employ just by doing the math of their size. Um, obviously, just workforce is an issue for everyone. Uh, you know we've been talking about it, uh, especially since the pandemic. But you know healthcare and nursing for sure. Uh, shortage of nurses in the U.S. So other than kind of what you all are doing, you know what what are some things that can help close this gap in the the need and the the open positions versus available nurses of all disciplines well i think one of the important pieces to for us to acknowledge where are we at in 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 it's a shortage now i'll go back and take you back a, a few years and since the turn of the, the decade we've been talking about an impending nursing shortage because of the aging of america we are think like we're, we're, we're aging our population is aging but so was our nursing workforce. They're aging as well. So you bring that forward to 2008, and we were expecting a lot of retirements um, right around 2010. Well, with the, the Great Recession, that didn't happen. We didn't see the retirements. Um, our nurses continued to work, and they continued to stay in the profession. Spring forward a few more years, it's like nursing is a very physical role in many places in, the, in, in practice, um, and you can't work forever. So the average age of a nurse went to 54 years old, and then the pandemic hit. And we lost a lot of nurses, uh, unfortunately, that they passed away. We lost a lot of nurses who decided, I just can't do this profession anymore. It was so difficult. And we emerged from the pandemic um, and the average age of a nurse went from 54 to 46. Oh. I was like, wow, that's great news. And it's like the age went down. Well, actually, it's bad news because what we did in America is we took all of these nurses who had 20, 30 years of experience and replaced them with graduates right out of nursing school, one, two, three experience. And guess what? They entered the workforce at a period where people saw more difficult times in delivering care, more death, than they would likely see in an entire career. Okay, well, that's a problem because they weren't prepared. They were not ready for that. So we have a group of nurses who are really, I would say, depleted, tired, wore out, and they don't want to stay in the profession anymore. So now you flash forward here in 2023, and you look ahead for the next few years, there was a, a study done uh, at the end of 2022 by the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. The study was over for about 500,000 nurses. Where do you think you will be in the profession in five years? Well, the results were scary to be candid. And they basically said that about 20% of all RNs in the United States didn't expect to practice. That's going to remove about 700,000 plus nurses from the workforce. And if I told you before that, we were expecting a nursing shortage because the severity of care requires more nurses, people are aging out. Now we put this factor in because of the pandemic. We're facing 
These are not my words. These are the CEO of the National Council. We are facing a significant healthcare crisis sometime between 2026 and 2028. So I use this as an opportunity. I, I'm grateful for this to tell people that, you know, as a country, we have to be thinking about nursing. We have to think about how we're supporting nursing. And over the past four years, I would say, sadly say, that the number of people graduating from nursing schools has increased by 1%. 1%, we are not putting more graduates into the pipeline. So institutions like Galen um, are trying to think about how we increase the pipeline, um, you know, graduate, reach out to people who are older. So what we need in this country is we need our great higher education institutions like the UofL and the KCTCS system to increase their enrollments, and you need people like Galen to increase their enrollments to face this problem that's not today, but that we have to have graduates that have at least some experience in the workforce in these coming years. So um, that's a flash forward. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm very yeah. optimistic about where we can be, but most, most people have not looked at that and thought about it, and we need to increase that dialogue. Right, for sure, for sure. Well. Good to get the word out about, uh, you know, that need. I know, too, then you've got the talk of the enrollment cliff in general. And so it's just a, it's a lot going on in terms of, of higher ed and getting people into that pipeline. Um, in terms of, uh, of innovation uh, in, the, in, in your industry, in your field, I know that, you know, you all are uh, constantly, with, you know, with the new, new well, semi-new facility now, uh, you know, state-of-the-art technology, all of that. Uh, what do you see as the biggest change or innovation coming to the industry, the nursing industry, um, in the or or from the edu educational industry, educating nurses in the next decade or so? I think the greatest um, changes are going to be coming um, from augmented reality and virtual reality. I think we are going to see an emergence of, you know, I, just think about maybe when you and I went to college, we may have taken a test and we filled out a Scantron sheet and we done yeah. something like that. Can you imagine that you're going to take an exam and the exam is going to be a case study that you're going to watch and you're going to have to react to um, and you're going to have to think your way through how do I need to do that? I see that education will evolve into uh, more individual individualized testing and assessment to get people to a point not common that everybody's going to take the same test. We're trying to get all the learners to the same point at the end, but we're going to get different pathways to get there. And I think that is incredibly exciting because, you know, meeting the learner where they're at. I think I do not think this is uh, the Jetsons and this is like crazy. It's going to be the future. I'm going to tell you right now that we are piloting already AR and VR headsets to figure out what's the best platform, how we can help students test and learn that way. Um, I'm going to think you're going to see education become more individualized. Yeah, something that we we write about a good amount here between uh, Behavior, company based in Louisville that's been through some merger and acquisition activity lately, and then Confluent Health, I know from their, their PT side, have used a lot of VR uh, for treatment and, you know, motion, getting people moving, that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, well, moving on, uh, we've, we tackled the serious stuff. Now we're going <laughs> to go on to a little bit lighter fare. One thing that struck me when I read your, uh, your Q and A that you sent back for most admired CEOs was your love of pop culture. And that, that hit, hit with me because, uh, if anything on Access Louisville, not only do we talk about business, the, the things are going on business wise in, in Louisville and Southern Indiana, but we talk a lot about pop culture things and have some fun. And, um, so, so what, inspired your love of pop culture how did you become a junkie um and you know where where did where did your interest come in 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 uh i don't know that field i don't know what we call it uh that area <laughs> what <laughs> well i guess we call I, it pop culture right yeah we call pop, I, I like to say that you know we do serious work but we don't want to take ourselves too seriously and that's a side of my life that i i greatly enjoy and um I fell in, I, I was a, a product of the 70s and I fell in love with uh, the Star Wars movies. It hit me at a point in my life where it was just right. Um, and I, I didn't fully embrace what I would call my fandom. I was great appreciated of, you know, all things pop culture, everything. I mean, just anything sci-fi and 
you know, comic related, I always thought was very interesting and just telling stories and being creative. And, and it wasn't until I had children and I won't forget this. I, I let my, my three-year-old son watch a star Wars movie with me and my wife thought I was crazy, but he fell in love with it. And, awesome. um, I, I found my fandom, if you want to think about it that way. And my, my love of pop culture, uh, being able to experience it and play with my children and being able to relate to them and all the things that they loved and just the community uh, of people. I mean, I think we're all striving to find what, what is our, our tribe and what is how, how do we get together and, and have fun together and everybody's different and, and embrace differences of others. And I think the pop culture community just accepts differences really well. I agree. And my so mine would be, I think, I was born in 75, so I'm a more of a child of the 80s. But um, even though I grew up in a small town, oddly, we had cable from like day one. And so like I remember watching MTV when they had like four videos. It was like Rod Stewart or three of them. Oh, yeah. And then and then and then into HBO. And like I was thankful that my parents just kind of let me watch whatever. So I was watching like Fletch at age 10 and, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff. So I'm I'm there in that. It, you know, it was it was TV kind of related. And uh, but, yeah, that's awesome. You get to share that. I, and I think it seems that that's a lot of way with a lot of I don't have kids, but parents, you know, the, the, the Star Wars movies, especially early ones, just I think that's the reason they connected with people in, you know, in our era is the same reason they connect with kids. It's, you know, fantasy and exciting and, you know, the good guy wins eventually and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, well, what are uh where has some of your interests taken you? I know you also mentioned Disney as a destination, travel, collecting items. Like, what are your pop culture favorites? Where's your favorite place you've been? Do you are you a collector of anything? That sort of thing. Oh well, man, I really appreciate this question. Um, <laughs> I, for the past decade or more than a decade now, um, one of my favorite places to go, and it's always a challenge for anybody listening, is to go to the San Diego Comic Con. Okay. Um, and it's you're you're there with about a hundred thousand people for all kinds of pop culture from everything you can possibly imagine, and it's just a it's a fun community and to be able to experience it. Um, my family and I have been blessed and fortunate to be able to go for a number of years, and my son now works in uh, the film and television industry, and so um, it's easier for us to get there now. Uh, but we traveled. We've also traveled over, overseas. We traveled the world to go and see places of, of sets and um, meet fans. And we, we just have developed a, a community of, of people that we've known over the years now that how we we connect outside of Louisville. I think that has really broadened our perspective and just found some amazing people um, to to experience that with. Yeah, probably probably not. Uh... Uh, happenstance then that you have a child who's ended up in that industry uh with sure. your interest. so yeah yeah that's awesome um well finally I'll let you get out out on this one uh, and get get back to your busy day uh we're, we're talking on a friday afternoon so i know everyone's like oh it's about time to go uh so um who's a who's a fellow ceo this could be local it could be national it could be someone's alive or not alive uh, a fellow ceo that you admire and why uh that that is a hard question because i i I admire a lot of CEOs, and one of the things that I've studied over the past 10 years is great characteristics, but if you had to say one, probably the person I admire more than anybody else is Walt Disney, um, and I admire him because he he thought about culture early on in a different way. He thought about, you know, that things are important to be great and over-focus on details and creating an environment for people, um, for, his, for his colleagues first, and then later for, um, for fans to experience his art. You know, the Walt Disney Company has been on the Forbes list of the most admired companies in, in the United States for, I know, more than a decade. Um, but that work really started back in the 20s, 30s, and the 40s. And I've been fortunate enough to study that company in a very, very deep way and look at the ethos of how and what he created. So if I could have a conversation with one person, I'd love to go back and, and meet him and ask him some questions about leadership. Um, his styles were different in the 50s than we would have today, but I think he always was committed to his, his team, quality, and his people. 
That's awesome. That's one of the cool things about uh, that this year. Listeners have probably picked up on this, that the podcast has taken kind of a, a left turn. And sometimes in that I've, I think this is the 19th or 20th executive inter- interview I've done for the podcast this year. And it's great to hear kind of a, the basis of, of, le- of leadership and, and who, how different people have picked up leadership traits from, from folks over the years, but then, and also how it, how it gets them to where they're going and also how it kind of can influence, you know, you, you've kind of got this connected connectivity between your work life and then your, you know, what you do for leisure. So that's really cool. Uh, well, Mark, I uh, want to thank you very much for coming on. Congratulations again on the most admired CEO. Uh, wish you luck uh, in uh, personally and, and at Galen. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Um, appreciate uh, appreciate that conversation. Uh, let's get into some some other news. I didn't know what to call this elite retail and such, <laughs> um, but uh, it sounds like um, we got an opening date for Publix. Something we've talked about plenty of times on this show. But uh, when is when is Publix opening? Um, after January 10th, we'll never talk about Publix again <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's first one's opening January 10th, um, and it's the location on Terra Crossing Boulevard, so out by Old Gen- Old Henry Road. Mm-hmm. So. And and where all are they going? That, that's just one. They have two other ones they have planned, right? Two others in Louisville. So one of them's on Ballardsville Road, which is right across the street from a Kroger that they recently Ooh, broke fun. ground. Yeah, they <laughs> broke ground on that in October, I think. Um, the Publix hasn't broken ground yet, so I'm not exactly sure the timeline of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, the last the PR person told me was uh, they'd let me know. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll let you know when I know. Um, and so. Then there's one that's going to be on, it's like the corner of Shelbyville Road and Flat Rock Road. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're all East Louisville. Um, Then there's some, I think, one or two locations in Lexington. And I want to say there's one in Northern Kentucky that's been announced now. But Lexington for sure, and then two in Louisville. And we've heard rumors of some other ones, but nothing yet we can talk about. Just kind of, those are the ones that they have confirmed. So uh, we'll be on the lookout for that. Um, I'm excited. I think the grocery prices are so high. I know I don't want to sound like, you know, some grumpy old man, but, uh, but man, it'd be good to have some competition just to keep prices low. So that's usually how that works. Um, we're seeing Kroger do a lot of, uh, renovations around town and mm-hmm. I would suspect they know that Publix is coming and they want to, you know, jazz up their stores and make sure they look good. So, um, another retail story here, Ellie, the paddock shops sold, but it was like, one out of town firm buying it from another, right? Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. It was uh, CBRE Strategic Partners, uh, which is a uh, subsidiary of you know CBRE Investments, um, and they uh, bought it in a partnership with Fairborn Properties, which was the uh, property manager prior to the sale. So Fairborn Properties has been active with the paddock shops for a while. Um, but yeah, they bought it. We don't know the purchase price yet. Um, which I've been checking every day. I checked again today for the deed, and one hasn't been uploaded yet. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, and uh, we don't know of any changes that are going to take place as a result of this. It's no, um, I know a lot of people have been saying that they want it to be called the Summit again. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that'll mm. happen. But yeah, it started out as the Summit, yeah. and it's on Summit Plaza Drive. Mm-hmm. But then they changed the name to the Paddock Shops. Right. I so. don't know. I don't know that that was a valuable name change i know well i know so many people that still call it the summit me too and i only call it the paddock shops because we ride when we write about mm-hmm. it we have to call it the paddock shops because that's what it's called yeah. but like in conversation i call it the summit i know a lot of people that call it yeah. the summit. it's one of the ways that you can tell if someone's from Louisville or not mm-hmm. yeah um not just you know what high school did you go to but the if they call the paddock shops the summit they're from Louisville. Yeah. <laughs> or like just anything we always call everything by what it was three names ago yeah <laughs> so. top golf is still sears <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I call it paddock shops but i moved here in 2020 so <laughs> yeah there you go. that is a good litmus test um uh, but yeah and uh What's the what's the one in St. Matthew's? The old Bacon's. <laughs> oh yeah, the old Bacon's. That's now called um, Morris Point. Yeah, Morris Point. Yeah. Yeah, I should have known See, that. We sh- oh, this, this <laughs> it's because I'm not from here. This would be the best trivia game. Is we give what's the old stuff name called. <laughs> you have to figure out what the new name is. You figure out what the new name is. That would be a good one. Because this building that we're in, everybody calls it PNC, even though it doesn't say PNC on it. Do they? Well, in, was Hillier Lions? 
It's it says Baird on it, but it's called Five Hundred. Yeah, and it's not even called Baird <laughs> anymore. No. I either hear people call it Hilliard Lions or Baird, but it's not even called that. It's called Five Hundred. But yeah. it used to be twenty, thirty years ago, I guess, where PNC was headquartered. Now PNC's in the PNC, PNC building. Town, <laughs> town, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then they think the fifth third, like the Brown and Brown and Williamson Tower, the fifth, is third, the fifth third building. Mm. Right. Yeah. Miner so. Towers, computer share. <laughs> Miner Towers, still Miner Tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Agon Center. All right, we could go on all day, but anyway. Um, all right. Well, let's get back to shopping here. Anyone have any uh, favorite holiday shopping places uh, that they that they visited or want to recommend? Uh, well, I went to Maid Market last weekend, which was a lot of fun. Um, I hadn't been there before, but I remember our former Louisville Business First designer, Brooke Timmons, loves Maid Market, and I had always seen her go, and I'm like, I want to go sometime. So I finally went last weekend. I've, never, I've not heard of it. Where is it? Um, um, what, what kind of uh, stuff do they have? It was Melwood Art Center, and they had a bunch of um, like small business retailers there. Oh, nice. Um, oh, I went to that with you. I was there like, <laughs> oh, I was like, where is that? It was I'm the like, old I was bank with her. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie was there. She I just didn't. had this vacant look no, on her No, I was face. just in the backseat of the car, and I was like, take me where you take me. So I didn't know where we were going. They left okay. Ellie in the car. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they like cracked a window. I didn't know that had a name. Yeah, Main Market okay, is what cool. it's called. It was at uh, Melwood Art Center um, with a lot of small business retailers. Sev- I think a lot of them were local. I don't know if any of them were from outside of Louisville. It's, it's like permanent. It's not like a pop-up or anything? Uh, it was a pop-up, oh, I okay. think. I it pop-up. It, but it's there for a couple weeks, I yeah, think, maybe. Yeah, the holidays. Yeah. Um, but I also go to – I went. we went to Logan Street Market and Nulu Marketplace. You so, hit all the places. And <laughs> just Nulu in general. Like, we went to Mamali and uh, Mahonia and a couple of different places. So, yeah, all over. If you if you want to know where to shop, I've been to most places. <laughs> and did you bring Ellie? Uh, Ellie went to the I first part. I just went park. to Maid. Yeah, she to went to Maid Market. And then she was like, I'm tired of this. She's like, <laughs> take <laughs> me <laughs> home. I, said, I don't even know where I am anymore. <laughs> Literally take me home. <laughs> no, I had something to do. <laughs> so, so I have a, a bit of a life hack. It's not going to be like a, an exotic uh, small shop or anything like that. But I recently was off yesterday and I've, I don't, I have three young kids and I was at Barnes and Noble and I was amazed how many toys are actually at Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble has good gifts. Really nice. So if you don't want to like, you know, go into like a big box store and wait in big lines, but you're trying to get, I mean, I was able to get some good books and just as many good toys. Um, so that's, um, I guess a shout out to Barnes and Noble um, because I mean, they've really, you know, diversified what they, what they right. have there. And um, it's, it's really good stuff like educational toys and, eco-friendly toys and all, all the things that that um i think our our, our readers would uh, our listeners in this case would um would be interested in so yeah if you have if you have young kids i would say and you're, you're looking for some stuff go there and you can kind of skip all the craziness of like the mall or like you know a target or a walmart or whatnot so. where is barnes noble and Louisville? the one i go to is off of hirschborn um yeah uh, near hirschborn and uh shelbyville Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... I think there might be another one. There There's was one at the paddock shops. In the paddock shops. I was waiting for it. In the summit. In the summit slash the paddock shops. Yeah, it was in one building in the paddock shops, and then it moved across the, sh- mm-hmm. the shopping center, and now Fresh Market is going into where it was. Yeah. So... Yeah. I'm like the ultimate not shopper. Like, I don't know where anything mm-hmm. is. David's like, online. He's like, I know where <laughs> Amazon is. Also, it's on my phone. There's a... There's a <laughs> you guys have a books of... Near my in St. Matthews, there's a books a million, which mm-hmm. is a very interesting thing because they have <laughs> quirky books, but then also like every franchise of every animation thing has little characters and things like that. So it's it's a store that when I get my six year old and eight year old in, I have to like kind of pull them out because they want to <laughs> grab this and grab that. All these like an, like every anime thing ever ever done. So that's a place kind of for very interesting quirky gifts, especially if you have somebody who loves a certain franchise a certain um movie franchise or a a cartoon franchise you can find something there that you can find nowhere else in the city i promise you they also have giant candy one time i got a giant box of nerds there (laughs) i know were the nerds giant or was the box giant um it had a bunch of little nerds inside it was like a nerds nestling doll oh but (laughs) um 
I've seen like I've seen like you get a big M M&M and M and it's a, it's a bunch of packages bunch of little M and M's. Yeah, but they also have I think they have like big candy bars and stuff too. We could talk. We could have Breaking a whole news. separate podcast about candy. Um, specifically, one topic is how many M and M's are better than regular M and M's. So true. But <laughs> I don't know how it time. works, but you're right. And what it's are gray Skittles? Dot dot dot. What, what are gray Skittles? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Endless supply of gray Skittles in this. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, for those those of you uh, wondering, um, the the books a million I'm referring to is on Breckenridge. Uh, uh, kind of near the the Home Depot, um, mm-hmm. Ruth Chris Steakhouse. What is the name of that tower now? It was the Caden Tower? Now the Wright Tower. Right. The Wright Tower. So I live in that neighborhood, and no one knows the name. I just think of the um, Ruth Chris and the. Everybody sky. thinks it's Ruth Chris. Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> whole, Ruth the whole building is Ruth Chris. <laughs> it's a steakhouse. Anyway, there you Eight go. Eight floors of steaks. <laughs> Do you think it's like a brag that they just like built that right there next to Texas Roadhouse headquarters to like? I don't know. I really don't think so. They have like steak fights. Yeah, probably. Kent Taylor would throw throw down. He would. He would. I don't know. All right. uh, Let's do a last few stories here um, before we go. Like I said, it's a long show. Uh, We got to catch up for all that lost time. I pay for so much recording on our servers, and I'm going to get every uh, every dime of it. Um, uh, Let's talk about um, one park. Uh, First of all, I guess. Anyone want to tell us what One Park is? And then there's some new activity on it. And I know uh, both Ellie and Haley have been uh, kind of following this. So uh, I'll let Ellie take the lead on this because I really just stole her story <laughs> today for the update. So she she's got the background. I should I should clarify that we we uh, we cited our source. Who was our source on that? Oh, uh, <laughs> there was an update to the story, and we used um, our news partner WLKY. Uh, we're not mm-hmm. stealing anything. No, <laughs> but I st- I stole pieces of Ellie's story for oh, this story it. this morning. Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, t- tell us what One Park is to start. Yeah, so it is a project from uh, Jefferson Development Group, which is owned or run by Kevin Kogan, um, and it is located on kind of the triangle of Grinstead and Lexington Road. And so it's been in the works for years. I think it was first kind of introduced in like 2017, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, although I'm pretty sure he's owned the land for a while. Mm-hmm. But um, it started with one Park South, which is the triangle at Lex- Lexington like Road and Grinstead. Yeah, Lemu and Fonte's uh, Coffee and all that. Um, and that is going to include like apartments and some commercial and office stuff like that. Um, and then starting around after I had started, so probably 2021, he um, proposed One Park North. So that's across the street. I think it's across. Um, Lexington Road from mm-hmm. that plot of land, which is more apartments, more um, commercial. Mixed use. So mixed use. So yeah. So it's these two very big um, mixed use developments that have gone through years and years of public meetings and mm-hmm. things like that because a lot of the neighbors were against it. Um, I think one of them is, I want to say uh, like 18 stories and the other is, let me check here. Yeah, one's 18, and I think the other is, like, 17 stories. Yeah. So, so like much taller two, than the area. Yeah, two towers in, in an area that doesn't have any towers. Well, yeah. Yeah. The, there's one, you know, over near Cherokee Park. I think there's a tower, mm-hmm. Willow something. Yeah, but, there is. It's an apartment, I think. And I think Kevin Kogan <laughs> had a hand in that, too. So Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Kevin Kogan, to bring it back full circle, the the, the parking lot, the Angel Envy bought, they bought it from... From Kevin, Kevin Kogan. Kogan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there you um, go. Yeah, so anyway, so these this mixed-use development, um, it this One Park South was approved a few years ago. One Park North was approved approved earlier this year um and so technically like construction could start on um the project except that uh kevin kogan is looking for a tiff for the area mm-hmm. um so that's a uh, revenue tool where he can retain some of the occupational taxes and i think also the uh local property tax um over the course of like 30 years mm-hmm. to um be able to use it for like infrastructure improvements mm-hmm. and things like that. And so he's looking for um, 114 million over 30 years. And an ordinance was recently uh, introduced to Metro Council. They decided to assign it to the Labor and Economics Committee, which that committee met to talk about it on Monday or Tuesday. 
Um, and they have advanced it yeah, back the, to Metro Council, I guess. Yep. The committee approved it, and so now it's going to the full council vote next week. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, yeah, so... I don't know. I guess we 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 don't know when construction will start, but it, it's at least showing some signs of life by advancing. So. Yeah, um, I know that uh, it's still. It, I mean, it's always been controversial. Still controversial now. Be, one reason is because of when it was first approved. I think that there was a requirement of ten percent affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, in this ordinance, that was lowered to seven percent, and then he also had the opportunity to. Uh, pay the Louisville Metro Housing Authority a certain price to get it lowered even more to 5%. Hmm. So a lot of people are upset that um, the affordable housing has been lowered, the Mm -hmm. requirement. Um, And I was able to talk to, uh, so that's in District 9. Andrew Owen is the council person for District 9. And I was able to talk to him uh, earlier this week when I first reported reported that the ordinance had been introduced. Um, And he said that the way that it it reads right now, he doesn't support it, um, just because he doesn't think that um, government funding should go towards something that um, he said. If there was more like infrastructure improvements and things like that, mm-hmm. it, it, like things like nearby roads and mm-hmm. um, power lines for the entire so they, neighborhood, yeah, like then he would support it. But the way project. that it reads now, he doesn't. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it'll be controversial when it comes to the uh, council. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that votes, mm-hmm. uh, that vote goes. Um, I can say TIFs are used all over the place, uh, but it's usually controversial. Mm-hmm. They are, um, but uh, the, they, they, you know, there's one around the soccer stadium. There's, uh, there's the one in West Louisville. There's, um, they're just everywhere. And were you talking earlier this week about the first TIF in Louisville? Was that you? Yeah, that, well, that was... It's in the it's story in the that story. I'm reading right yeah, now. Yeah, it's in the story that hasn't published as of Thursday at 2 p.m. Well, I'm publishing it, as like, we, right now. Wow. Live, live from the Access <laughs> wow. Louisville podcast. You guys are getting a peek behind the curtain. Um, I was able to talk with Dan Mann, who is the executive director of the Louisville Regional Airport Authority, yesterday, who told me that the first TIF... Um, in the city, or maybe even the state, was... Um, Your story says the state. Yeah, he's he told me the state. Was the Renaissance Zone Near Business Park, yeah. which is like the business park that the airport manages. Um, and that's coming up on 20 years at the end of this year. Yeah. So. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when you mentioned that was the first tip. It was like, gosh, like 20 years, and those tips are used everywhere now. Like mm-hmm. that... The thing is, it's like a lot of states and cities have a lot of tools that develop that can like aid development, and Kentucky doesn't have that many. At least that's the way I understand it. I'm, I'm not an expert on every state's economic development strategy, but uh, because that's the one tool they have, they use it mm-hmm. everywhere. <laughs> so, uh, so I've, I've kind of uh, you know, it's interesting to see you know we're talking about that one and this one. So, uh, all right, well, something to watch at Louisville Metro Council and. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get an update on it probably after that uh, after that discussion and vote takes place. Um, I'm sure we'll be back here with Ellie going over what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, although I would think our next couple of shows are going to be uh, the prediction show and uh, the show after that. So who who knows? We'll, we will update you on that at least on the website. So um, all right. Well, uh, Haley, one more story here, and I was uh, I was glad to see this one. Uh, Racing Louisville got a new coach. Yeah, Racing Louisville FC has a new head coach, um, Beverly, but she goes by Bev um, Gobel Yanez. Um, I'm probably saying her name wrong, but um, she she can call into the show. I'll get it right we, next time. We would love to have Bev on the show. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but she's on, she's 34, which I'm I'm 30 now. So anytime I see a woman who is in like yeah. a top leadership position, like <laughs> at our age, I'm like, you go, girl. Um, because I just love seeing <laughs> people my age going out there and doing like big ambitious things, yeah. like leading a professional women's soccer team. Yeah, yeah, and she's a former player. Um, well, I actually, you know, the the reason I was interested in this is because I listened to a um, a podcast that she did right when she started as an assistant coach um, this year, uh, the 2023 season, and uh, she was on this podcast I listened to. The Butchertown Rundown, which is a Racing Louisville podcast, 
and um, she did an interview with them, and she sounded like, I don't know, I mean, she sounded like really talented and really smart, knew what she was talking about. Um, and, uh, she, you know, now um, they're, they had kind of a rough year uh, last year. They, they were much better, uh, but there were some games that they didn't win or they got draws where they really, like, should have won that one. So uh, I think um, I think they have a good team, a good, talented team, and now they've got this new coach. And I think last year was manager. probably, like, a recovery year, yeah. you know, after all the – Well, they did, and they did more than recover. I mean, they, they made, like, a run at the playoffs, but, um, but just fell short, especially toward the end of the year. I think there was just some fatigue, so. Um, and excuse me, I lied earlier. She's 35, um, not 34. Still impressive. Still yes. impressive. But, uh, but yeah, I think this is exciting. Um, you know, hopefully a, a good new chapter for uh, for Racing Louisville FC. And um, good to see a woman on the sidelines coaching the women's soccer team. So <laughs> that's something we hadn't had before. We've had two male coaches, or two male managers, and one of them, of course, ended in tragedy with, uh, with the scandal that, that unfolded there at the end of uh, 2021. Um, is that right? 21? Yes, I think it was 21. Yeah. Um, but all right. Well, I think that is all we have for you this week. Just that. Just that 45 minutes worth of show. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll As you guys want more? <laughs> you we want keep more. talking about say, mini M&Ms. Hey, a lot of the podcasts uh, that I listen to, they, they say, st- if you want more, you got to subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, but uh, we don't have a Patreon. so. If you want next. more, you got to subscribe to Louisville Business Very <laughs> True. Yeah, we'll talk at you all day if you just want to. Yeah, you want to subscribe, but um, but all right. Well, before we go, we'll uh, we'll go around the room here and share where people can find us uh, on social media. Uh, Ellie, I'll start with you. Where can people find you? You can find me on X at BFLU Eleanor and on LinkedIn under my name Eleanor Tolbert. Where can people find you, Haley? People can find me on X at BFLU Haley or on LinkedIn under my name Haley Cawthon. And Steve, you can find me on X at uh, LBFLU. Steve, is that right? BF Lou Steve. Or that. BF Lou Steve. Steve. I'm just glad that I can say X without giggling, but now I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't yeah. land it. All right, so find me X at BF Lou Steve or on LinkedIn at SP Schmidt. All right, you can find me on LinkedIn under my real name, David Amen. Um, all right, let's see. Um, if you like what you hear on this podcast, please consider subscribing to us on all the popular podcast services, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Radio Public. Uh, if you really, really like what you hear, uh, we are looking for a sponsor. You can get in touch with our advertising director, Doug James, at djames at bizjournals.com. Thank you very much, Ellie, Haley, and Steve. Thanks, Mark Vogt and Shay Van Hoy. And thank you guys for listening to us at home. And we will see you next time. Bye. All right. Now that was a show right there.